Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, and Paul Dettino with you. Thank you so much for being with us, guys. How's your week treating you? How you doing, Lance? Doing very well. Hanging in there. Another busy week and looking forward to uh, talking some more football with you, too. Paulie Dots, how stir-crazy are you? Are your walks oh like to like 12 miles now? How's <laughs> well, over the last week, I've averaged over 11 a day. So Have it's, you really? It's going well. Oh, yeah. The, the weather that's uh, really come on lately has been a tremendous help to me. The weather has come on. It's been very nice. We've had those very nice spring days. Uh, not quite where you have those perfect spring nights yet. It's a little chilly at night, but uh, we're getting there. Folks, I want to remind you there's a bunch of ways you can get in touch with the program. So take a listen, and here's how you get in touch with us to chat. You can go to Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. Again, you can submit your questions on the Internet if you're not on Twitter at Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. Or you can just send your questions in the hashtag GiantsChat or to any one of our individual Twitter handles. For the folks on today, it's me, at Schmelk, two E's, at Lance Meadow, M-E-D-O-W, and at Giants, W-F-A-N. And, of course, we are taking your calls. And the number is still the new one at 973-667-1960, 973-667-1960. Again, we only have one line, folks, so if it's busy, it doesn't mean anything's wrong. Just keep calling back, and we will eventually get to your call once that line opens up. Uh, so, guys, I guess uh, the the piece of news that we have today—it's not much, but it's a sniff. It, it it's a sniff. It's a little morsel that we can chew on and maybe get a little optimistic about. Uh, governor Murphy, uh, New Jersey's governor, of course, for the folks out there that don't know who the Giants, uh, who the New Jersey governor is, uh, apparently had a conversation with Roger Goodell and both ownership groups of the Giants and the Jets about reopening their facilities. No details in terms of what. That conversation was like, uh, but Governor Murphy, guys, did say at a press conference um, the other day that much like Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo's quote that we read on the air a couple days ago, um, he can also foresee uh, games being played without fans based in the, uh, on the current atmosphere. So uh, for whatever qualifies as good news these days, I suppose that's good news, right, Paul? Well, I think the the thing about it is Governor Murphy said he, he is very happy with the level of cooperation and how the uh, commissioner and also how the Jets and Giants have responded to the guidelines. He understands that they're starting to make plans to inch forward, would not give a timetable of any type, but understanding that, hey, everybody understands that there's going to be safety first, and it's a good thing that people are being optimistic about it. Again, you're right. Not a whole lot there, but I do like the fact that there is an open line of communication that has been made public between the government and the professional sports uh, leagues and franchises because the more that they talk, the more likelihood that they're going to come up with some type of solution to this. Well, but remember, guys, at the end of the day, NFL rules and regulations are still going to be the true lead because nobody can bring their players and coaches back to the facility until it's at least near an equal playing field. So I think it's certainly encouraging that in New Jersey, perhaps both of the teams will be able to start to open their facilities and bring back some of the essential personnel. But, I mean, personally, to me, I really think the dialogue gets moving when the NFL as a whole feels every single facility is at a place where they could start talking about bringing in players and coaches. Yeah, but Lance, Some I facilities think the big, have certainly opened, which has been a positive. Yeah, I think the big story, though, is that New York and New Jersey are going to be probably the last couple ones that allow that based on how the disease has gone and COVID and all that stuff. You know, New York and New Jersey had the 
two biggest outbreaks of any states in the country. So the fact that they're having this discussion, you know, because right now the league is let everybody open their facilities if they're able, and yeah. New York and New Jersey can't do it yet. So they're kind of playing catch-up to the rest of the league at this point. You know what yeah, I mean? I'm, I'm with you, John, 100%. I think there's tremendous significance in these conversations because we know that New Jersey is probably going to be like the caboose in this whole thing yeah. as the NFL tries to move the train. Well, the other thing, though, that we can't overlook is, remember, as states continue to open up and more and more people go back to work or whatever it may be, we also don't know what the implications of that will be, too, to those respective states. So, you know, that's where I think we have to be careful about New York and New Jersey being behind everybody else when, remember, it started here and then has flocked and moved across the country. But we really don't know the true significance across the country until I think personally people start going out and about again in the states that haven't been nearly as hit hard. Right. Lance, let's God forbid say that there will be no setbacks anywhere else, okay? Because we don't want anybody else. I certainly don't want that, Paul. But all I'm saying is I'm just trying to be realistic in terms of I think there's a lot we don't know yet about the virus. That's Let, let's just hope that the arrow continues to point of in course. the same direction Absolutely. and nobody has any setbacks at all. Right, and I think the point is we don't know what the future is holding. All we can do is talk about the news as it comes, and as we stand now, uh, the fact that New Jersey and New York are getting to a place where they're thinking about these events. The California governor had a similar statement about live sports events without fans as well a couple days ago, and as I mentioned, those are some of the hardest-hit states. So as they start to catch up to where the rest of the country is, and who knows, you know, circum- it's to Lance's point, circumstances change who knows what's gonna it's gonna be like in a month and like we've said a million times folks the nfl and the teams and the states can have all these intentions uh at the end of the day it's gonna be and this is i think what anthony fauci said to uh peter king on monday uh on the uh football morning in america column i almost gave him credit to the wrong to monday morning quarterback um that this is going to be determined by the virus so we can just plan what we can do the best we can and and kind of go as we go all right um, so let's get to the topic at hand, folks. I thought this was a good day to kind of sit here. And we are taking your calls, by the way. You heard that ring in the background. Uh, remember, we'll get to you when we get to you. We're going to do a little open here first. Um, the topic that I want to touch on today to start things off, guys, is something we like to do every year. It's kind of take stock of the division. I thought now was a good time to do it. We're through for agency. We're through the draft. Whatever that final wave of for agency that really never seemed to happen Um, It just didn't. I'm assuming that's going to happen in July now since, you know, these free agents probably don't care about doing virtual off-seasons. We'll get that last wave there. I think we have a pretty good feel for what these rosters look like, right? So I think now is a good time to kind of take stock of the NFC East, kind of see where we're at a little bit, and kind of break down where this division is in terms of strengths and weaknesses for, for teams and what this competition might look like in the fall. Well, I think if you look at the entire division, and I've said this multiple times, the Eagles deserve to be number one on everybody's list right now for the sake of continuity. You can't overlook the fact that three of the teams in the division change coaching staffs and Philadelphia is bringing back essentially everybody or the core it's certainly safe to say and they're not going to have to learn new schemes and in an offseason where there's no on-field work and it's all virtual I think that team deserves the advantage and well, I think it's that's also both- frankly they won the division last year they won the division two out of the last three years most recent team to win the Super Bowl they're the defending champion so I think that makes sense Yeah, and I think that if you continue to play the paper test from a talent perspective, I think Philadelphia and Dallas probably have some more answers than questions than the Giants and the Redskins, if you were to evaluate it at least from that standpoint. So those are the two teams I think right now are in the driver's seat, and I think the Giants and the Redskins, where people are not necessarily crowning them, 
but they have the potential depending on what becomes of the youth movement on both teams because Washington has a lot of young guys that they're relying on too. I do like their front seven, but I think there's a lot of questions in the back end of that Redskins defense. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that Philadelphia right now, as we stand here today, has the most talent up and down their roster. I, I, you're right, Lance. I, I, I don't think it's just track record, as John mentions. I think if you look at their roster today, uh, it's pretty hard to, to say that they don't have the best talent in the division up and down. Now, again, we know there are a ton of variables that could change that over the course of the next several months, but, but they certainly have enough of bodies to win this division again. All right, so our methodology here every year, folks, we do this. We go position by position. I have five offensive positions, five defensive positions. Then we'll do special teams and the coach, and we'll kind of rank each team one through four, and then we will total the points at the end and see where each team stands in terms of total points and uh, and where they rank. So uh, let's start the quarterback position, guys. The way I look at this, um, I think Dallas and Philly are a tie. I think Carson Wentz at full strength is a better quarterback by Dak Prescott, but I think um, his penchant for getting hurt, to be frank, kind of puts those into a bit of a tie. And then I think Daniel Jones is the next guy up based on his rookie performance, and then uh, the Redskins and Dwayne Haskins pull up the rear at number four. Well, I would argue with with that. Go, Go ahead, Paul. No, it's, it's pretty hard to argue with that. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Andy Dalton going to the Cowboys enhances their depth at the position Good dramatically. Point. Good point. And when you consider that Wentz has had trouble playing 16 games in a season, you have to give Dallas a little bit more of a nod there. I mean, and, and quite honestly, if it's just the starters, I'm Wentz over Prescott every day of the week, every day of the month, every day of the year. It's not even close Wentz over Prescott, hands down. But because of Andy Dalton, you have to consider that Dallas has a slight edge on that spot. And I would certainly go Daniel Jones, too. And Dwayne Haskins, very, very far in the rear at number four. Well, I also wouldn't overlook the fact that Kyle Allen could very well be the starting quarterback for the Redskins this season, especially if they don't get much on-field work. Remember, he knows the system. Scott Turner is their offensive coordinator. Kyle Allen came over with him from Carolina. So I'll, I don't wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to pencil in Dwayne Haskins as the starter so quickly. But boy, I'll tell you what, Lance, right now, if they end up starting Kyle Allen, if they end up starting Kyle Allen, they are going to get reaped over the coals for not taking a quarterback in the draft. Well, Allen's not necessarily an old man the last time I checked. He's not very good. (laughs) Well, I mean, we barely saw him. We saw him in a small sample size. He was thrown into the mix because Cam got hurt. I'm not saying that he's the long-term answer, but considering that he knows the system that Scott Turner is implementing, if they went in that direction, I don't think it would be a stunning development. I would be stunned. Paul, would you be stunned? Uh, Flabbergasted. I, I wouldn't. I, I would not because I think there's going to be some interesting decisions that teams are going to Are you related to, to Kyle Allen? <laughs> no, not at all. I'm giving you, you my you realistic opinion. No, you must be. No, how can I? Wait a minute. You're going to tell me it's crazy to start a quarterback with any on-field work without any on-field work who Let, you already know? Let's put it know this way. The narrative out of Washington offense? is that Dwayne Haskins supposedly, according to those people down there, was playing better in the last couple of games of last season when he got on the field. it's not a disrespect to Dwayne Haskins or anything against him. It's just about the fact that Kyle Allen has familiarity with an offense that they're going to run, and Dwayne Haskins does not. That's the difference. I don't think ownership would be very happy if Dwayne Haskins was not starting week one. I think the fans would try to burn that building to the ground. 
<laughs> to be and if you don't think that that ownership in Washington has influence on what happens on the field, then you're sadly mistaken, Lance. Wow, this is amazing. We have Paul like siding with Dwayne Haskins. I never thought I'd hear this. Well, I'm he, he doesn't happen to be very good, Snyder. and that's why the Redskins will finish last in the division. <laughs> well, I, like I said earlier, I think the Redskins have a lot of questions whether Haskins or Allen is the starting quarterback. All I'm saying is that I would plan for some unusual things perhaps to take place because of what we don't know is going to happen with training camp. Okay. That's so, all I'm saying. All right, so we're at quarterback. We're going to give him a three and a half. Dallas and Philly tied. They'll split that top spot. Giants get two points for that category. Uh, Redskins get one. Running back here, guys, I feel the same way. I think Dallas and the Giants, uh, uh, you can kind of give that had a split there in number one. Both Elliott and Saquon are excellent. Uh, Tony Pollard, I think, is probably a little bit more dynamic than the backups the Giants have in their roster currently, so I would split them at one. And then you have uh, the Redskins, I think, at three. They have a pretty big stable there of running backs. And then the Eagles at four. But I could be convinced on the, on the Redskin-Eagle rankings. Lance, how about you? Well, I think Zeke is the true workhorse for the Cowboys. He's proven that each and every single season. Everybody else in the division, with the exception of the Giants, really has a running back by committee. So I think you've got to give the Cowboys and the Giants the significant edge because you know you're going to put that one guy out there and you pretty know you pretty know much what you're going to get out of them. As far as the Eagles are concerned, you know, Miles Sanders is attractive. The guys behind him have some experience, but Doug Peterson keeps you guessing and he uses his running backs in a variety of ways. I think I know more about the Philadelphia committee than I do about the Washington committee at this point because a number of those guys have been hurt and we still don't know whether or not Adrian Peterson is going to be the true number one guy because it's a new coaching staff. So I would probably put it Dallas, the Giants, then I put Philly, and then Washington. I'll go Washington ahead of Philly only because until Adrian Peterson is actually six feet under, I have to believe he can still run for a thousand yards. <laughs> He's just unbelievable. Okay, so even even split, I'm going to. Sp- Nashi, Paul, and I both have Washington at three, so I'm going to give Washington two points for the category, and I'll put Philly. Uh, at the bottom. And we'll see about Miles Sanders, too. He can have a big year in his second year, depending on how they want to use him. All right, wide receivers here, guys. I got Dallas at number one to me. That's a pretty easy calculation. I wrote down Philly with the second-best group, and then I looked at it again, and I think there's a real good argument to be made that the Giants should be ranked number two on this list at wide receiver, given the fact that Alshon Jeffries coming off an injury. Um, we don't know if he even wants to be there. Deshaun Jackson, we know, has trouble staying healthy. Then you just got a bunch of young rookie guys that are talented, but we don't know what they are. So I I wound up with Dallas at one, with Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup, which is an excellent group. I got the Giants at number two, the Eagles at three, and then the Redskins pulling up the rear, uh, where they really, besides Terry McLaurin, not a lot of proven guys on that receiver core. That's a really tough one, John, because the Giants certainly have questions with Sterling Shepard. I don't want to be talking about him with another concussion. No. Because that may be the last one he has. And and that, that for all we know, another concussion could put Sterling Shepard's career in, in a very cloudy situation. And I'm not trying to be funny. Uh, Corey Coleman uh, really would love to see him be able to come back and give them some snaps. But, you know, again, com- coming off of a serious injury, I just don't know. If both of those guys can make it through the full season, I agree with you. I think the Giants have the second-best receiving core in the division. Now, of course, with Philadelphia, I don't know. What is what is Hightower and what is Rager going to bring to the table? Yeah, I don't you know. talk about Jeffrey coming off of an injury. Deshaun Jackson's another year older. I mean, you know, 
yeah, those are the two teams that are going to be fighting for the number two and the number three spots, and both of them have questions. But maybe because of the Giants having a little more experience at the spot, if you want to give them a slight edge, I would not argue. What do you think, Lance? Be the tiebreaker for us here. Well, I think the Giants deserve the edge based on proven experience. I don't think there's anything about that. Philadelphia, I think, has the most intrigue, and I think they have a ridiculous amount of speed, but I think we have to see it. Because even Marquise Goodwin, who's another guy that you guys didn't mention, they acquired him from the Niners. He's Mm -hmm. also somebody that hasn't stayed relatively healthy throughout his career. But you look at the speed with all those guys, Deshaun Jackson, Goodwin, Rager, it's pretty scary who they could put out simultaneously. But right now, it's all based on potential, whereas I think with Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, you really know what you're going to get out of those two guys. Slayton only has one year under his belt, but I think at this point we got a good read of his transition. So I would give the Giants the slight edge over the Eagles. All right, so I will do that. Giants uh, get three points for that category. The Cowboys get four. Eagles get two. Redskins get one. Uh, Let's go to tight end here. Do we even have to have a debate about who the number one team in this group is? I don't think so. That's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, They might have the the two best tight ends in the division on their roster. You know, you can, you know, Dallas Goddard and Ingram, I think, are kind of a toss up there for who the second best guy is. And Zach Ertz, obviously, the best. So, Eagles in number one. And frankly, I think it's a pretty easy call, guys, to put the Giants at number two. And then I have Dallas with a slight edge over Washington, three, four. But I could go either way there. Your thoughts, Paul? Let's start with you this time. Yeah, I'm going to go with Dallas at number three. I, I do think that, that Blake Jarwin is a quality player. Now, I don't know so much about how they're going to wind up using Schultz or, or, or Bell and how Washington will wind up using their guys. I mean, look at some of the fellas they have behind uh, Jeremy Sprinkle. Richard Rodgers is there. Logan Thomas is there. Uh, you know, I, I, to me, they're just guys. So, yeah, I'm with you with the Giants being a strong number two, and, and I'm going to say Dallas is number three. Yeah, I think Dallas deserves to be number three. I think Blake Jarwin's a far more proven commodity than any of the names you mentioned. They also have Logan Thomas, the Redskins, the converted quarterback. So it's not they. It's not as if they have a lot of guys that you've thrown out there on a football field and you said, hey, this is exactly what this player is going to give me. I think Jarwin has proven enough, even with Jason Witten coming back, Jarwin's been a very productive tight end. He's been a versatile weapon for them. So I actually don't even think it's close between the Cowboys and the Redskins at this point. All right. So Dallas gets two points. Redskins get one. Eagles and Giants won two in that category, four points and three points respectively. Final ranking for the offense. Offensive line. And guys, I think we need to make it official. I think the Eagles have officially surpassed the Cowboys for best offensive line in the division. Uh, That's been a a title the Cowboys have held for a long time. But as Tyron Smith ages a little bit, Travis Frederick just retired. I got to put the Eagles one ahead of the Dallas Cowboys. See, this is a tough one. I know Dallas lost Travis Frederick, their starting center. But the bottom line is... One of the two guys that could very well start in his place started every single game in 2018, and they wound up winning the division. And I understand Smith is getting up there in age. Zach Martin's still there. Lyle Collins is still there. We'll see what happens at the left guard position. I think McGovern is a guy that could emerge along with the youth of Connor Williams. We don't know what Dillard's going to bring to the table yet. He's still a question mark. And you could argue Lane Johnson's been a little bit banged up. Kelsey's been contemplating retirement. 
I like Philadelphia, John, but honestly, until I see this group fully healthy, I don't think anybody has supplanted the Cowboys. I would put Dallas one still. Ooh, I'd okay. put Philadelphia two, and then I think the Giants are three and the Redskins are four. All right, Paul, b- break the tiebreaker for Eagles and Cowboys for me. I have to say, John, I'm going to go with Lance on this one. All right. I still have to go with the Cowboys. Until proven otherwise, I'm going to give them the slight edge over Philadelphia. And quite honestly, I agree with Lance, uh, too, with the Giants uh, over the Redskins. I think the Dillard component is the one that makes me put the Eagles at number two instead of at number one. That's fair. I like Andre Dillard. Coming out of school, we we talked about him a lot as a guy who was going to be a first-round draft pick. We talked about what were the chances the Giants might even look at him. But the bottom line for me is his body of work is not substantial enough to give Philadelphia the edge. No, I think that's fair. And, I yeah, look, their big question marks at left tackle. The Cowboys' big question mark is, is center right now and maybe left guard a little bit. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. All right, uh, so the offense is just for a moment, if you guys want to look at offense only, if we tally these points here, it looks based on my quick math here, 7-11. The Cowboys come out with 17 points offensively um, in this category. The Eagles come out with 7-13.5. The Giants come out with... 13 and a half, and the Redskins come out with only five. So uh, I think this is kind of what you expected looking at these teams heading into the season, right? That, you know, they have some really good offensive teams and the Redskins would, would kind of be lagging behind. And I think the Giants offense should be good. I'm not surprised to see them tied with Philly here for second place in terms of the point totals we put together. Well, I've said this multiple times. The Giants' offense was not a major issue last season. They had games where they put up plenty of points. The problem is they had to get into a track meet more often than not. And, you know, you look at what Jason Garrett has done with the Cowboys' personnel. I think there's some similarities when you compare what he's going to work with here with the Giants. So if anybody from the outside looking in is looking at the upside and potential for the Giants' offense and you hope that the offensive line makes some strides, I think there's definitely potential for the Giants to put points on the board. It remains to be seen what this defense is going to provide under the new scheme with Patrick Graham. So you know, nobody should be surprised to see the Giants perhaps in the conversation of Philadelphia for number two on that list. You know, the one thing that, that I don't think enough of us have talked about yet, and I, I think that as we get closer to, to the season, it'll be something that's discussed. If the Giants are going to go a lot of double tight ends, which is something that the Cowboys did with Jason Garrett a lot of, Boy, Caden Smith and Evan Ingram as a double tight end combination could really make this a very explosive offense because I think both guys can catch, and I know that Smith is a solid blocker, and that's going to help uh, Saquon Barkley immensely as well. It, I, I'm just, I am so jacked up, John. You know how much I love the double tight end formation. Yep. I've been talking about this for years. I'm finally going to get to see it this year. At least I think so. Don't get too excited. Well, and also remember, Levine <laughs> Toilolo is another option that they can line up to is that extra offensive lineman, that big body in double tight end formation. Well, yeah, well. I think he would be more in the in the jumbo. Yeah. Okay. I, I would see when they go when they go triple tight ends, I could see Toilolo get getting snaps in those situations. And and you load up maybe even two tight ends one side, one on the other, or even go three tight ends all on the same side with an unbalanced line. I could see them doing that too. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball, guys. I've split this up into five categories just so we have an even number between offense and defense. I have edge, so that's anybody who rushes the passer off the edge. Defensive line, which is your interior defensive lineman. Linebacker, which is your off-ball linebackers, not your edge rushers. 
cornerbacks and safety. So let's go through these very quickly. Um, at the edge spot, guys, I got to give the Redskins the top unit in the league here with, with Philly right behind. Um, and I think those two groups really stand out as being uh, the top two in the division. And then I think just because of Demarcus Lawrence, Dallas has to be third. He's more of a proven guy than the Giants have at edge. And then the Giants, we all we talked about their edge rusher situation all across this offseason. I think they have to pull up the rear in this category. There's really no debate there. And when you look at what, what Sweat and Young and, and Kerrigan can do right off the top for the Redskins, it, you know, immediately you look at that and you say, okay, they're going to be number one. Yeah. And, and it doesn't take much time to figure that out. And the rest of them just fall in line after that. Yeah, I've always liked Philadelphia's defensive line, but if we're not including the interior, obviously, in this group, then I think Washington probably has some more options there. Derek Barnett has been dealing with injuries, but he's still an explosive young guy. And Brandon Graham could play on the inside and the outside. So, you know, Washington and Philadelphia are, to me, a neck and neck in terms of some of the versatility that can be brought to the table. And then clearly the Cowboys and the Giants have far more questions. All right, let's go to the interior, guys. I just labeled this defensive line. I really thought about the Giants here, guys. Dalvin Tomlinson, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, uh, a lot of guys in depth in terms of R.J. McIntosh, B.J. Hill. They got a really nice group, but they don't have a Fletcher Cox. Uh, and they also, the Eagles also have Malik Jackson. They've really just brought in good defensive tackle after good defensive tackle. So I still got to put the Eagles on top of this group, but I think the Giants are a close second. I concur, I John. Okay. I absolutely ahead, agree with that. You. You know, <laughs> when you start with Fletcher, Fletcher Cox, it's going to be hard to, to move them down a notch. And until he proves otherwise that he's no longer a Pro Bowl caliber player, they're still going to have to be number one in the division. But I do think the Giants are right there behind them. Lance. See, I disagree. I think the Redskins are right behind them. I think you guys are overlooking what Washington has to work with on the interior. Matt Ioannidis is a solid player. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. You know, all those guys have performed admirably, even though some of them have been in the league very long. And Philadelphia, you know, also added Javon Hargrove. Let's not forget about him, what he's going to bring to the table in addition to Fletcher Cox. So I think Philadelphia's one. I think Washington's two. I'll give you the Giants three. But don't overlook Washington. Washington has some real strength at that position. All right, you're outvoted, unfortunately. So the Giants that's come fine. in. That's fine. I'm just going to make my opinion heard. That's Absolutely. All. The Giants come in at second place, Redskins uh, third, and then the Cowboys pulling up the rear there. Though they did make some improvements there. They brought in some veterans in Dontari Poe and um, McCoy. Gerald McCoy, too, yep. yeah. So How they much got... tread is on those tires, though, John? That the, Why do you think they're last, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go to the off-ball linebacker spot. And this is a spot in the division where the Cowboys really still stand out with Jalen Smith. There's an asterisk next to Leighton Vanderush if he can stay healthy. But even so, I still think they're better than the other three. And then it really gets interesting. I think Blake Martinez is probably the next best player from the Giants, Eagles, and Redskins groups as off-ball linebackers. Thomas Davis is there, but he's a little bit you know, on the wrong side of 35, I think, even at this point. So how do you guys see it after the Cowboys? Paul? That's a tough one for me, John, because, you know, I need to see – need to see Martinez on a regular basis, having very little to watch unless we've seen, you know, what you've seen from the Packers. I don't know what Blake Martinez is. And I, and I really believe that there are a number of positions in the National Football League that until you see a guy day in and day out, you really don't know what his value is. And especially when we hear Martinez talking about the scheme and how the Packers wanted to use him. So I, I don't really have strong conviction on this answer, but I am inclined to go with the Giants behind Dallas. 
And then after that, I probably am going to go, ooh, I'm probably going to go Redskins after that. And then Eagles fourth. Yeah, I would agree. I think you got to put the Giants second tier just because even though we haven't seen how these players are going to perform in the scheme, I think the Giants have more proven commodities with what they added in free agency. You know, there's upside in terms of what Fackrell could bring to the table having that one double-digit sack season. You've got Blake Martinez. He's been in the league for a number of years. Ryan Connolly, I think very highly of. I know it's a small sample size. You hope well, he returns injury, Lance, to health. You know? Yeah, but the bottom line is from the time we saw him perform, I, like I at him. least think he's got potential there. I, I like him, but, you know, can you put it in ink or is it in pencil? Hey. You know, that's why I say it well, all about conviction here. How much here. can you use in ink in terms of the other teams, though? Yeah, you know, probably not a whole lot. So, yeah. Lance, how do you, who do you rank 3-4 between Washington and Philly? I'm going Washington 3. I would put Washington as 3-2. I like Thomas Davis still being able to perform at a high level despite the injuries. And Cole Holcomb, by the way, had a really nice season for them last year. And that's somebody in that Ryan Connolly department that, if you want to use Paul's phrase, maybe you're not going to put it down in ink, but I think there's still a lot of upside there with him. So I like what Washington has to offer much more so than Philadelphia. All right, let's go to the safety, uh, the cornerback spot next. We'll save safety for last. And, you know, I had a lot of trouble with this one, guys. I had to look at it a lot. And with Darius Slay's addition, are the Eagles now the best team at cornerback in the division? Or is James Bradbury and the Giants, even though there's a lot of question marks after that, the Cowboys lose Byron Jones. They don't have really a true number one corner. The Redskins certainly don't. The one I feel best about here is the Redskins are last. (laughs) And the other three, (laughs) I I think Dallas is next to last, I think. But... The Eagles and the Giants, I, I think I give Philly the nod at number one, but I think I might put the Giants at two. What do you guys think? Wow. Well, I'm with you on three and four. Uh, one and two One and two is very difficult because I think that Slay has a higher reputation than Bradbury. But, again, it's the kind of thing, John, where I think you learn a lot more about a guy when you see him on a regular day-in and day-out basis. Hey, look, both guys are really good players. They're both good players. I think Slay has a higher reputation, but yes, that doesn't yes. mean he is a better player than Bradbury. True. Um, but do you like the veterans along with Slay than what the Giants have with a lot of their youth? That's the I've actually been, uh, to be honest with you, I think that Sidney Jones and, and Rasul Douglas have been a bit underachieving since they came out of school, and I've never been a big Avante Maddox fan. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm not gonna gonna throw a pizza party for the Eagles' corners. And as far as the Giants are concerned, hey, do I like some of the flashes I've seen out of guys like Ballantyne and and Beal and Baker? We don't know what his situation is going to be. I think the Giants certainly have the potential to be the number one team. Are they the number one team today? Maybe not. Where do you go here, Lance? I think you got to give Philadelphia the number one spot. Darius Slay has been a solid corner going back to his Detroit days. I know Paul listed a lot of the players around Slay. And, yeah, the reason why a lot of them have underachieved is because they haven't stayed healthy, Paul. I don't think it's that they're bad players. It's just the problem with the Eagles' secondary is you really haven't had that core stay together. But Roddy McLeod is equation, a veteran Part of the equation, Part of, of the course equation. It is, but, it but here's the thing. I have a little bit more faith in terms of Philadelphia right now than the Giants who you're basing over some of these guys being out there for five or six games. 
in terms of what they did last season. So while Sidney Jones may not be that impressive, he's got a lot more experience under his belt. And he's also in the same scheme with Jim Schwartz over the last few years. Same thing can be said for some of those other players. So that's why I give the advantage to Philadelphia. By the way, they also have Nikel Roby Coleman at the slot position. Yeah, I like him. Who I also don't think should be overlooked. That was a really nice addition. Okay, yeah. so we're going to put Eagles 1, Giants 2, Cowboys 3, and Redskins last. Uh, how about safety, guys? This is another tough spot. I take a look at this, and, you know, there aren't a lot of really established players at safety. I'll, I'll, I'll use kind words in the division. The Eagles don't have Malcolm Jenkins anymore, which really changes the calculation there, though McLeod's a solid player. Is, am I crazy for thinking the Giants might have the the best pair of safeties in this division? Is it, Well, is that crazy? Is Love going to start or is McKinney going to start? Or are they both going to start because they go three safeties? <laughs> I, I was thinking more the Peppers-McKinney combination, but who knows? Well, if, it's, if it's Peppers-McKinney, then then I'll take my chances with McKinney, even though he hasn't played an NFL down yet. I'll take my chances with those two guys because I don't think the, the Cowboys' safeties are anything to write home about at all. I think they've got the, the two least impressive starters Obviously, we, we know that Landon Collins is good at some things, but limited in terms of his overall scope, and I'm not a Sean Davis guy. And as far as the Philadelphia Eagles go, yeah, McLeod is still a good player, but I'm not, I'm not a Jalen Mills guy. So for me, I'm going to go Giants. How about you, Lance? How do you order these guys Well, here? I think the Giants have a lot of upside there, but once again, if we're using that premise based on how we evaluated the other facets of the team, considering McKinney hasn't played one snap, it's hard to all of a sudden give them the benefit of the doubt under those circumstances. I think Philadelphia has by far the most experience between Rodney McLeod and Jalen Mills, though Mills is a converted corner, but he was playing some safety over the last few years. So I would still put Philadelphia one because of the experience and some of the versatility back Philly there. Philly had won. What o- happened? Well, Philly over the Redskins with Landon Collins? Yeah, I, I am not sold on that Redskins anything in the secondary. The only guy that I like in the Redskins secondary right now is Kendall Fuller, who they brought back from Kansas City. That's the one guy that I'd be like, all right, you put out there, you feel good about. And no disrespect to Landon Collins, but even with Landon there last year, and they've had a variety of different coordinators, and they still haven't had answers over these years. So it's hard to get excited about that Washington secondary. Philadelphia, to me, because of the continuity of the scheme and the veteran presence, to me, deserves the number one spot. I'm fine with putting the Giants two, the Cowboys are three, and the Redskins would be four. Wow, so we are all vastly disagree on this. So I think we're going to have to do a lot of ties here. Um, so why don't, boy, how do you guys want to rank these? <laughs> well, they could share them. All four <laughs> of the teams could share equal points. Okay, so you want to give everybody two points since we're all over that's the fine. map? I think that's why the not? best way to go. All right, why not? Fine, that works. All right, so if you want to look at just defensive points now, folks, the Cowboys come out with 11. The Eagles come out with 14. The Redskins come out with 11, and the Giants come out with 12, believe it or not. So you're looking at defenses there that are pretty close in terms of their total numbers. Now, special teams, uh, I have not done a ton of work on these guys. You know, Zerline is now with Dallas. You know how good he is. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The Eagles have always had a good special teams group. You know, the Giants punter is excellent. The field goal kicker, we got to see what player shows up in Rosas this year. So, Paul, how do you evaluate these special teams groups? Well, that that one's probably the hardest one to do because how heavily are you going to weigh Joe Judge's reputation? 
because coaching his goal, is a separate category. So I think we got to leave that separate. Yeah, yeah. It's hard because I, I, I truly believe that Joe Judge does, doesn't want to be a top five special teams group. I think he wants the Giants to be the number one special teams group in the entire NFL. I truly believe that is his goal. And I, I really like the Giants' ability with the number of return guys who are capable of handling that job. Whether or not Coleman is back in the mix or not, I don't know. But I think they have a few guys who could do it. I love the Giants' coverage units. I don't think anybody would argue there. So what, what are your biggest questions? Well, the biggest question really would be with the kicker. But we know that Rosas was victimized by a lot of operations issues. And what do the Giants do? They go out and they sign a guy who was a Pro Bowl long snapper by grabbing Kreider from the Broncos. So I, I'm going to say the Giants are number one on special teams here with Philadelphia being a close second. Philadelphia has had one of the best track records in special teams since Doug Peterson took over. No doubt. Because of the personnel, I think the scheme, as you guys alluded to, the playmakers they have, there is some changes with the Giants that you hope would help out Rosas. I would still give, though, the Eagles the tiebreaker in that department because of the experience and continuity factor. And now, you still have Thomas McGahee there for the Giants, so I think that's going to bode very well for the Giants. However, they did lose Michael Thomas. Okay, let's not overlook that. He was a significant player on special teams. They signed Ebner, and, they and they've got Cody Core back. But new faces. Core's not new, but Ebner's new, and you just don't know how these guys are going to fit in. I think Philadelphia returns most of its core. So I'd probably give Philadelphia the slight edge over the Giants. I'd put the Redskins three, and I'd put the Cowboys four because the Redskins have the best punter in the division in Tressway. I don't even think that's close. Uh, Hopkins is not that terrible. I wouldn't put him as the top guy. And Washington has some decent return guys and some intriguing options there. And you look at what Ron Rivera is going to bring over in terms of his Carolina staff. So I would probably put Washington three slightly over Dallas. All right. So I'm going to rank Philly one, Giants two, Redskins three, and I'll put Dallas last to kind of even everything out here a little bit. Okay, finally, let's go to the coaching staff, guys. And just because Joe Judge has never coached before, I think all of us have you know high confidence he's going to be a good coach, but we just don't know. So I think we kind of have to slide him in last year simply because he's never done it before. I think Doug Peterson has to be first based on his recent success. And then I'm good splitting the difference between Ron Rivera and McCarthy in terms of their coaching. Your thoughts, guys? Well, yeah, I, I think you got to yeah. split Rivera and McCarthy. Uh, both of those guys are proven winning coaches in this league. Uh, Peterson, because he has the Super Bowl ring. I mean, remember, McCarthy's won a Super Bowl, too. So, you know, let's not all of a sudden dismiss that oh, as yeah. well. But I, I'd give Peterson has more familiarity with the division. His core coaching staff is still together. And that's how I started off this conversation. So it would be impractical for me to move him down. And Rivera, I can make an argument for two. McCarthy, I can make an argument for two. So you're really going to be so minute in terms of those details. I'm fine with your analysis there. Yeah, you know, I think the real question here, guys, though, it's not just the head coach, it's the staffs. And I've said this for so many years, the staffs really help a lot in terms of making up what you think about the head coach. And I really love the fact that everywhere we go and everybody we talk to, whether they're from the NFL or from the NCAA, they continue to say, boy, the Giants have put together a phenomenal coaching staff. I mean, I've had people say to me, they might have one of the top three or four coaching staffs in the National Football League if you go up and down the staff that Judge has put together. 
That says a lot to me. I understand what you're saying, though. You're strictly going on the head coach name here without the rest of the stuff together. So you got to go with Peterson one. Uh, I'm not a McCarthy guy. Never have been. His teams have underachieved, especially in the postseason. I think that's fair. I and that's so fair. I will take Ron Rivera over McCarthy. And, and I guess you have to put Joe Judge fourth because he's unproven. But my goodness, it would not at all surprise me because of what he's done with his staff, that he moves up that ladder very quickly. Oh, it would not, it would not shock me if he's the number two guy on this list next year. It mm-hmm. would not surprise me. I agree. I'm with you. See, go, go ahead, John. No, I'm finished. Go ahead, Lance. I was going to say, if we're going to use, though, some of your rationale, Paul, I'll take it a step further. McCarthy has Mike Nolan, previous head coach as his defensive coordinator. He's got John Fossil as his special teams coach, somebody who was an interim coach and has a wealth of experience and very good special teams. And Kellen Moore has already been with this personnel grouping on offense because he was under Jason Garrett versus Washington. Jack Del Rio, I like, former head coach, defensive coordinator. And Rivera then has brought in some people who were with him in Carolina. You can argue McCarthy may have better options around him at other key positions on his staff than what Ron Rivera brings to the table if we're going to use your analysis of the Giants. I could see that. I, I like some of the guys McCarthy's brought in. The problem is McCarthy is still the head guy. And I'm sorry, but he's like, you know, he's Gene Mark for me. I know, he, I know he did win a championship, but this is a guy, more often than not, has had a team that should have been heavily favored in the playoffs, yeah. even got home games at Lambeau Field, yeah. and found ways to screw up the game plan and lose games. Um, I'm sorry. M- McCarthy, he'll, he may get you to the playoffs, but uh, getting the trophy, that's going to be hard to come by with that guy. Yeah, Paul, I'm curious to see if, you know, because he's allowed Kellen Moore to leave his offense in for the most part, and I think call plays. So I wonder if that's going to, you mm. know, mitigate some of those weaknesses. You know what I mean? Because, Don't frankly, know. because frankly, I happen to agree with you. I think those Packers teams did underachieve a bit. Uh, over the course of his career there. I wonder if he does let go of the reins a little bit on offense. Uh, that might help a little bit, but who knows? All right, I got our point totals here, Paulie. Yeah. Eagles, 34 and a half. Not surprising, as we talked about. Tops in the, the division. Getting a lot of credit for their special teams and their coaching. Cowboys come up number two. Not far behind the 31 and a half, which not surprising. Then the Giants, not surprising their third, but 29 and a half points. Just Two points behind the Cowboys, and then the Redskins pull up the rear at 20.5 points here in the division. So that's where we came here, and I think the Giants, if I remember back from last year, actually have it up on the bulletin board at the office, which we clearly are not in front of right now. (laughs) I could look otherwise, but it is up there. I believe the Giants are much closer to second and first place this year than they were when we did this exercise last season, Paul. Yeah, I suspect that you're right, John, and I also believe that if you would ask the three of us, just give me the positions that you think these guys are going to finish in at the end of the year, we all would have said Philadelphia, Dallas, Giants, and Washington. So the numbers as we broke them down came out to to indicate exactly what we probably would have thought from the beginning. Well, and also you look at the teams that have been the most consistent over the course of the last few years. Dallas and Philadelphia have been the ones that have won the division title, whereas the other teams have not necessarily had success in that department. So until we see a change in the Giants and the Redskins in their trajectory, it's no surprise that Philadelphia and Dallas should be right near the top. All right, that exercise is a little bit longer than I thought, so only got about 17 minutes or so for calls, so let's kind of get right to it. Someone's been holding since the start of the show. I hope they're still there. Really? We're going to find out in a second. Thank you for being patient, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? You're on the air with Lance, Paul, and John. How are you? 
Oh, I'm sorry, caller. Go ahead. I got your lineup now. Hi. Uh, this is Scott from New Mexico. Hey, Scott. Uh, nice to speak to all of you guys again. Hi. Thank you. Uh, okay. Enjoyed the conversation. I had a question that uh, I think goes into your conversation. I, I really agree very much with what Paul said about staffing. And I wanted to use the example of the Patriots. Uh, when some of the coaches went off on their own, like Cornell and Charlie Weiss, albeit in college, and then uh, Matt Patricia currently, none of them are doing really well. You can make an exception with Mike Vrabel. Uh, but how strong would that team be if they didn't have Derrick Henry on the team? Well, and Scott, remember, Vrabel didn't really coach under Belichick. He just played under Belichick, too. Right, but he was part of the New England mystique. Of course, mystique. Yeah, of course. And, what I'm getting at is staffing, I think, does make a difference and uh, because none of the other coaches really had any success, and they still came under the Bill Belichick umbrella. So my question is this. Does Joe Judge, is he his own man? Do you think he will determine what he wants to do as opposed to being under this mistake of Bill Belichick? And my second point is, does uh, one player, can that impact a team differently than what you've described? Because I really enjoyed your conversation about how uh, teams will play out based on you know, the personnel they have. But a player like, for example, Chase Young, does he change the dynamic of Washington and where they might fall? Because if, if he's everything that's advertised... Does and you have to double team him, or he has twenty sacks. Does that change the whole dynamic of the NFC East? And that could be for any team. Uh, if Daniel Jones, for example, suddenly vaults to another level, does it change the dynamic? Yeah, how how important is personnel versus coaching staff? And that was my question. So thanks, guys. And Thank you, Scott. To talk to you Appreciate again. the call. Look. And that's what we. That's why when we talked about this exercise, guys, we kind of always went back to well, who do we know about? And who don't we know about? You know, guys can take big jumps that we're not expecting and throw this whole operation out of whack, Lance. Well, Chase Young, if he does live up to the hype, at least in year number one, yeah, it's going to completely change the pressure of the back end of that defense. Because I've said this time and time again, the Redskins secondary to me has the most question mark compared to any other secondary. So if Young gets home or they double Young, then the opportunities for Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Ryan Kerrigan, if that pass rush drastically improves simply because of the presence of Chase Young and how teams on the offensive line need to respect him, now all of a sudden maybe teams don't have the opportunity to hit Washington deep in the secondary and it covers up some of their weaknesses. So absolutely one player can make a significant impact on a defense, and that's how all of a sudden the dynamics of the Redskins' defense can change. Yeah, coaching's important, but any coach will tell you you still need the talent on the field. I mean, you could coach a guy up if he doesn't have the speed, if he doesn't have the ability to beat an offensive lineman one-on-one, if the linebacker can't cover sideline to sideline, you could scheme all you want, but there's still going to be limitations on that player. So you absolutely need the heavy hitters on the field before you even talk about what coaching can do. Yeah, see, I don't think the the answer is as simple and as clear-cut as you think it is, Lance, because if you have a, a dynamic impact player who can scare a coordinator on Monday night when he's preparing for your team, yes, that certainly does make a difference. But, but, and here's where the scale comes in that I think you're missing. If you've got a tremendous coaching staff up and down the room that can have incremental improvement in, let's say, four or five different positions on your team, the sum of those improvements can be more 
than just the one impact player that you're talking about. So I understand what you're saying. I don't disagree with it, but I think you're only seeing half of the picture. Well, my point is, though, Washington bringing in Chase Young, they already have a really good front seven around him. They've got some proven guys there. It's not as if Chase Young is joining a real young group where you really don't know what the hell you're going to get out of that group. I think he's entering a defense up front that has a lot of pieces, and Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio are proven defensive-minded coaches. So that's what I'm also taking into consideration. I may have not said that, but I'm not dismissing that factor. So I think Washington, with the combination of the coaching minds there and the talent, that makes for a really good combination, which is exactly what you're bringing into the equation there. I would say specifically, too, to the Redskins guys, you can rush the pass well, you have to cover in the back end. And I just mm-hmm. I just don't see and again, this is just talking specifically about the Redskins situation. Like their cornerbacks and you know, even their safeties. We know Landon Collins is a really good player, not the best coverage guy in the world. But, you know, I don't know how they're gonna cover anybody back there. I really don't. And frankly, guys, when we did our little exercise here, do you know what I kind of figured out looking at both sides of the ball? I think and, Paul, you might want to, you know, slam your face into the wall when I say this because it's not old school. I think this is going to be a really offense-heavy, high-flying, high-scoring type of the division this year. I don't think this is going to be your old-school black-and-blue NFC East. I think these teams are going to score a lot of points. I think the Giants would like to make it an old-school division because of what they have done to their roster and how they have tried to compile the different styles of players. we I think that Judge wants to use a lot of double tight end. I think so. I don't know that, but I think so. I think he's going to re- want to rely more on the running game. I do think that on defense, they're going to try to do a lot of confusing things, which should hopefully, for them, limit big plays. Um, and I do think that they want to have a much more rough and tough and physical defense that, that should be able to uh, improve on what we saw last year with a coordinator that seemed to be mismatched with its talent. Okay, let's let's be very clear about this mm-hmm. now. What we saw over the two years of James Betcher with the Giants is that his schemes were not matched up very well with the Giants' talent. They seemed to be out of sync. We know the Giants needed more talent, and I'm not going to deny that. But he also seemed to be mismatched with the the guys that they had. And so in this particular case, if Patrick Graham is the right coordinator for this bunch of guys that they have accumulated, the improvement by the Giants' defense could wind up being the highest upside of any one unit in the division. All right, well, let me ask you this, though. Do you think right now is it more likely that the at the end of the year that the Giants' offense is ranked higher in the league or the Giants' defense is ranked higher? The, the offense will probably be ranked higher. I, agree. I think I'd be foolish to say otherwise, but I do think that the Giants' defense may have the largest jump of any unit in this division. Well, I will yeah. continue to say that. I agree with that, but I think no doubt about it, the Cowboys' offense is a lot better than their defense, right? Yes. I think maybe the Eagles' defense is slightly better, but I think they might be even. I think they're a pretty well-balanced team, and I think the Redskins' defense is better. So I guess the point I was just making, Paul, maybe not so much play styles. I just think you're going to see a lot more 27, 24 games than you are 17 14 games. Yeah, division, you know I mean? division wide I would agree with you right. I do think the Giants would like to get more low scoring games if they could find them well I think that also by the way plays into the fact that you've got a lot of new schemes being implemented across the board too 
And if you figure maybe the offense is going to be a little bit ahead of the defense, especially with no on-field work, that would probably be another factor as to why these games may be relatively high scoring That's true. <laughs> over the course of the season. That's a good point, Lance. Yeah. All right, let's go to our next caller. Caller, you're on the air with Lance, John, and Paul. Caller, what's up? Caller, are you there? What's your name? Where are you calling from? I hear somebody there. I hear somebody moving on the phone line. Right, Did he gonna, go away? I don't know. We're going to bring him back down and we'll remind callers that, <laughs> folks, you have to listen to the phone line. You can't listen to the computer because the computer is on a delay. So let's get the caller one more chance here. Caller, you're on the line with John, Paul, and Lance. One more try. Hello. And that strike. Uh, I'll, I'll give him a strike three. Sorry. You lose. Okay. Uh, we, we, Done. And again, guys, keep calling in. As soon as you call in, I'll, I'll try to get you on the air. Remind folks, too, we don't have this call screener. Uh, when I'm on the air, when I'm not on the air, I will screen the calls. Um, so when you get on, you're just going to go right into the program, and I will ask you who you are. And if you're calling and there's a busy signal, just keep trying. Eventually, uh, we will make sure we uh, get you up on the air. Okay, now we got another caller coming in right now. Caller, you are on the air with Lance, Paul, and John. What's your name and where are you calling from? Mark in Jersey City. Hey, Mark, what do you want to talk about? What's on your mind? Hey, guys, I was just, you know, I wanted to thank all of you first and foremost, just being able to come back like this through all this that's gone on. You know, what a big, I don't, maybe you guys realize it, maybe you don't, but the roles you play in guys' day-to-day lives, guys like Lynn, Coach Marvin, even Charlie, for all his faults, like, you know, be able to come back and interact is massive. I just want to thank you guys. Well, the you know what, guys? Thank you out there for listening. We literally... I have not looked at the numbers in April. Um, I had a lot going on, but in March, we had some of our best listenership numbers ever in terms of the audio. So that was great. And if we weren't having this type of success because of you guys out there listening, we wouldn't still be doing it. So we're happy to do it. We enjoy it. Much like you guys, you enjoy listening. This is a great thing for us to do during the day, too. It gives us something to do, and we enjoy doing it. So thank you out there for giving us the opportunity to do it by listening to what we're doing. Thank you, But Mark. did you have to mention Charlie? No. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, please don't call. You've gone three days in a row. I don't want to hear from you again, please. Marcus, go ahead. What do you want to ask us? Um, yeah, as, as it relates to one offense, one defense, the two tight end thing. And, you know, I'm not even a Giants fan. I just enjoy listening to you guys. I remember the Giants tried to do this back more when they were coming out of the Parcells era. They tried to recapture the two tight end they had with Bavaro more so with Cross. Cross was more of a glorified offensive lineman, could catch a little bit. But right. He was just a big, really big guy. And they drafted a guy a couple of guys that were more the receiving types and Derek Brown, who was a huge bust. Um, and they had Aaron Pierce, who just kind of was just there. I believe that was his name. Yeah. Um, and it was, it never really, you know, came out. And the next time they got a tight end, they could catch was Shockey. And there's a lot of giant fans who want to run out Evan Ingram because of his injuries. I was just, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just yet. I just, you know, they got a new strength and conditioning coach in there. He's, you know, Fitzgerald is a really, you know, knows what he's doing. He's a different kind of cat, and I think the team's going to be more conditioned, more more ready to play on a day-to-day basis because they are a younger team. So they're going to need that, you know, to you know get ready for the NFL rigors, especially in today's climate. And the defense, they need a cornerback to become one corner in particular, probably Bradbury, but they need one guy to just be come that like lockdown I've got you guy and an injury that killed them coming out of that 11 I believe it was 10 to 11 Super Bowl was the Terrell Thomas injury that Mm -hmm. guy was on his way to becoming great and that knee injury just 
you know, he was never the same guy. How'd you feel about Kenny Phillips? Tons of physical talent, but he was, he was, uh, you know, he was in the same, I just think, you know, when you have a corner, a corner usurps the safety. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying more so than Terrell Thomas. I'm just thinking that both of those guys should have been around for a well, long time and, Paul, and would have been really good. And how about offensively with Steve Smith? Same yes, deal. Yes, John. And even yeah. offensively with Akeem Nix, same deal. No doubt. No doubt. You know, I appreciate him bringing up the tight end comment, though, because, you know, the Giants, the last time they really were effectively able to use more tight ends on a regular basis, you really got to go back to the 2000 season when they went to the Super Bowl against the Ravens, and they had Pete Mitchell, who they had signed as a free agent off of the Jaguars, and he was the pass-catching tight end. Howard Cross, you're right, at that point, Howard was strictly blocking and was basically an extra offensive lineman. And they had also Dan Campbell who I always thought was an extremely underrated tight end who went on to have a, a solid NFL career, wound, wound up with the Lions after he was with the Giants. And I love the way that they employed those guys. So we'll see if this group can, can reach that kind of potential. All right, Marcus, thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Be good. Yeah, you know, Paul, it's funny you mentioned that. You know, you know, Pat Shermer, when he first got here, he talked about using those tight ends a lot, but I guess a combination of injuries with Ingram and Ellison and then the three wide receivers all kind of played well, so that was the best personnel group. They never, never really got to feature that too no. often until the end of Shermer's first season. So I guess that would have been, what, 2018? We saw it yes. in like that final six games after the bye, but that was really the only stretch where we saw them using two tight ends you know, really often. I agree with you. And, you know, John, that's not the only thing that we thought we were going to see and didn't. The fullback was another part of the, the Shermer game plan that we expected to see more of, and for some reason it never materialized. Well, the problem with all these personnel groupings was when one guy emerged, another guy got hurt, and then the guy would come back, and then the other guy would disappear. It really didn't see a section where everybody thrived simultaneously. For example, Caden Smith didn't emerge until Ingram got hurt again. So the excitement, I think, is, well, what happens when both of those guys actually are healthy and on the field together? Because Evan was off to a career year last year. You know, people tend to throw that out the window. Before he got hurt, mm -hmm. if you would have added the numbers up, he was on pace for a career-setting season across the board in every statistical category. And then, unfortunately, he got hurt. And after he got hurt, he was never the same. It was one thing after the other. Is this finally the year where he puts everything together? and health doesn't become an interrupting factor? Perhaps, but I would agree with the caller where I still think it's way too early to start removing him from the conversation. He's still on a rookie contract. The Giants picked up his option, which I thought was a no-brainer because there's still a lot of upside there. And now that Jason Garrett is his offensive coordinator who has a track record of highlighting this position and having success with multiple players at that position— you like the fact that he could be a key ingredient within this offense. It's just a matter of him proving his durability. That's the end of the game for Evan Ingram. It's not about what he can do. We know what he could do. It's just a matter of can he prove durable. He does that. I think he could very well be the number one guy within this offense. It wouldn't surprise me if you know he's up there in receptions and receiving yards this coming season, more so than any other receiver on this team. Interesting. Gentlemen, great show as always, my friends. 
You guys enjoy your Memorial Day weekends. A reminder to the fans out there that no show on Friday or Monday. We are getting the four-day weekend, whatever weekends even are. Everyone day just seems like <laughs> Wednesday, no matter what day it is, really. Just be careful out there, people. Yes, everyone stay safe. Be careful. Follow your rules. Be responsible. Go out there. Have some fun. Get outdoors. Outdoors is a lot safer than indoors, folks. So get outdoors, but keep your distance and, and you know be respectful for everybody out there. Lance, Paul, always a pleasure. You guys enjoy your weekends. Have fun. You too. Absolutely. For Lance Meadow and Paul Dettino, I'm John Schmuck. And again, you can find the archive of the show on Giants.com slash podcast uh, slash Big Blue Kickoff and, of course, on all your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back live again next Tuesday on Big Blue Kickoff live on Giants.com. We'll see you then. Adios.